Hosted by Paul from Cliff Richard Radio. Hosted by Paul from Cliff Richard Radio. Welcome to the Wide for Sound podcast with Paul. And on the show, on this podcast, I have Gordon Giltrap. Gordon is a, a fantastic guitarist and he is also a, a songwriter and we have the honor of talking to him on this show and also speaking about his time with Sir Cliff on Heathcliff as we celebrate 25 years of Heathcliff. Wired for sound. Um, so thank you for, for agreeing to this interview with me. I'm looking forward to, to chatting with you. Pleasure, sir. Pleasure. Um, so we'll, we'll start with just some basic stuff before we get on to uh, the Heathcliff side of it. Um, so who were your influences uh, when you decided to play the guitar? Like thousands of guitar players, not just here in the UK, but around the world. It was Hank Marvin. Mm. Yeah, to me, Hank Marvin and Cliff Richard were just perfection. Yeah. Now you had you had the the glamour and the image and the and the cool of Cliff. <laughs> yeah. With the amazing slickness uh of the shadows and, and that lovely playing and sound of Hank Marvin, which uh, just just blew me away. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic um, musician, uh, old Hank. Um, what did it feel like to make your first album? What, what did it feel like to make my first album? Um, it was exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, a voyage of discovery. I hadn't been in a recording studio before, so I didn't quite know how it worked. But I was very fortunate. I had a very sympathetic producer in a man called Bill Leader, mm-hmm. and he kind of led me through it. But um, basically, I, I, at that time in 19, I signed with a record company in 1966. Um, my first album came out in 68. And at that time, I was writing songs and doing instrumental pieces. Yeah. And I, I kind of, each album I did after that, um, up until 1973, Mm-hmm. were a mixture of songs and, and guitar tunes. And then I decided, I think the kind of the penny dropped that I wasn't really a great singer. The songs were okay, but my my real strength lay in the fact that I played the guitar well mm-hmm. and I played it sufficiently different to anybody else. And uh, then in 1976, I did an album called Visionary, mm-hmm. which really established me as an instrumentalist, and I, I'd really found my voice by then. It took a long time, but I found it. Nice. Uh, so when did you first meet Cliff? I met Cliff in the early 70s. It was really weird. I met him because I was part of the Christian movement at that time, mm-hmm. and um, we had some mutual friends called Jack and Pauline Philby. Uh, Jack was a, um, a minister in the Church of England. He sort of travelled around. They were almost like a hippie couple, really. Yeah. And I met Cliff at a church called All Souls in Langham Place. Uh, and when I met him, 
it was really weird. I didn't know what to say. I just stood there. I, thought, I just, I just, I just didn't know what to say. I was kind of so, so in awe of standing, stood in front of him. Yeah. And I thought, oh, there's so many things I'd like to ask him, but I just didn't. He didn't have much to say either, bless him. I think he was a bit, probably a bit embarrassed by the fact he was confronted with this bloke who had nothing whatsoever to say. Oh. <laughs> um, and then I, I read you gave him a guitar. I did. This was this was before Heathcliff. Um, in the in about 1978-79, about about okay. he was doing a season at the London Palladium. Yeah. And prior to that, I'd he fell in love with a guitar I had made by an English maker called Roger Bucknell. Yes. The, the company is called Filed Guitars. And I he had one made, but he needed a strap button put on it. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, let me take the guitar away. I'll get the strap button put on it. But in the meantime, you could borrow this guitar. Mm-hmm. And it was a beautiful tree of life, very fancy looking guitar. And he used it on stage. And then uh, several years later, I re-met Cliff. Mm-hmm. For, I did an interview with him for a guitarist magazine. And I took the guitar along to remind him of that instrument. And he said, you know, Gordon, he said, one of these days I'm going to I'm going to get one made just like this. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I wasn't really using it mm-hmm. as much as I should have done. So I said to my wife, Hillary, Cliff had gone out of the room. I said, shall I give this to him? She said, yeah, go on. <laughs> so I gifted, I gifted it to him. Yeah. And I believe he still has it. I think he treasures it. I don't think he plays it much. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's how that came about. Oh, nice. They call it the tree, tree design guitar? Yeah, it's just yeah. The the it had a kind of a, a tree design down the fingerboard, yeah. and uh, I think Roger called it the Tree of Life guitar. Mm. <laughs> I think he still uses one one similar with the, with the tree on it all the time when yeah. he's when he's performing. Uh, it may still it may be it. He may yeah. be he's actually. I know I know for a fact that several years ago he sold a lot of his guitars. Yeah, but he, he said no, I want to keep that one. That's special. Gordon gave me that. I so I was really quite touched with it. it's a lovely guitar yeah it's a lovely guitar so if he if he is still using it yeah. fantastic it, that would be the as far as i know if it's got a tree of life inlay on the fingerboard mm. that will be that guitar oh nice yeah, yeah. thank you for, for telling me that i didn't know that i wasn't aware he still he still used it in a live situation yeah yeah definitely i'm sure last time when i seen him perform live he still had that on on the guitar Brilliant. Yeah, when I did the zoom of the, for taking a photo. Yeah. So how did um, Heathcliff come about? Well, shortly after I did the interview with Cliff and I gave him that guitar, I guess about maybe about a year, um, the management got in touch with a chap who was representing me and said, look, Cliff would like you, if you would like to do it, to be in, in Heathcliff and play the part of the troubadour. Yeah. It's going to be a kind of a musical narrator. Now, the irony is, Paul, that in in the in the story of Heathcliff, yeah. there is not a troubadour; it's a different time scale. Uh-huh. But but Cliff always and still does refer to me. He still refers to me as the troubadour. <laughs> and of course, when I finished with Heathcliff, when Heathcliff finished, I I recorded an album, mm. Troubadour, in, and uh, a couple of the pieces that I wrote for the show was on that album. Cliff did backing vocals on one track. He was very kind to me. Yeah. Um, 
and that's how it came about, you know. But uh, I wasn't the troubadour. I, I, I was kind of a, a musical narrator, if you like. I, I opened the show every night. Mm. I, I wrote, uh, I did an arrangement of A Misunderstood Man. Mm. And this is really interesting story. Not many people don't know this, but you're going to love it. Um, I got a, Cliff said, all right, I want you in the show. Mm-hmm. But he, di- he didn't really know how he was going to use me. And the management sent sent Paul, uh, John Farrer mm-hmm. uh, one of my albums, a live album. And I get a call from John at my home. And he, in the, I, I, it's difficult to do the Australian accent, but, you know, but he said, hello, mate, it's John Farrer here. He said, I love what you're doing, mate. He said, but I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do with you. I don't know what, I haven't written anything for you. I said, well, it's funny you should say this, John, because off my own back, I've actually done an arrangement of a misunderstood man because mm. I like it. And I'd, I'd got a recording of it. So I played it to him down the phone and he went absolutely over the moon with it. And he did use the expletive, which I saw. He just said, that's effing brilliant, mate. Well, that can be the overture. Yeah. Oh, so nice. Unwittingly, I'd written the overture, which was lovely. <laughs> and it was a shortened version of A Misunderstood Man, which is, as you yeah. know, a wonderful, wonderful song. Mm. Some great songs in that show, some great, great songs. Yeah. And, um, that's how that came about. Uh, and so every night I would go up on my little balcony <laughs> in my troubadour suit and play live. Yeah. Misunderstood man. And I've got to tell you, for seven months, it was like nerve wracking because uh, it was the first thing that the audience would hear and yeah. it had to be perfect. And every night I was terrified in case I dropped a note. But thank <laughs> God I didn't. I didn't drop a note and it was wonderful. Oh, I think it also adds to, to Heathcliff um, as well. It's just breathtaking and it adds to the scenery, your overture. As well, and uh, you performed. I was listening uh, to an album that you had l- that you were doing live, and, and you did uh, a bit of Summer Holiday, and then a bit of Your Misunderstood Man, <laughs> and it's <was> really good. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny story. I I'd, um, I'd worked out an arrangement of Summer Holiday for solo guitar, and mm-hmm. believe me, it's I'd have trouble playing it now. It's a very complex, technically difficult piece. Mm-hmm. To, 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 to make work for a solo guitar. Yeah. And I remember Hank Marvin was playing in Malvern. He was over here in the UK touring. And I went across to see him and I played it for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't make a comment. He just sat there and just smiled. And I'm still not sure whether he liked it or whether he didn't. Uh, I played it for Cliff as well. I think they both liked it. I think they were both a bit sort of taken aback by it because it was... Uh, it wasn't. It wouldn't. It wasn't summer holiday as we know it. Well, yeah. you've heard the track. Yeah, and it was a fun thing. I don't do it anymore. I stopped playing it mainly because it was stretching my fingers too much. It was mm-hmm. this quite demanding. Yeah. But I'm glad I did it. Yeah, and also your your Troubadour album is one of my favorite albums just to listen to and and enjoy. Yeah, and well, that's the- interesting. I, I I need to tell you. Sorry to interrupt there. While no, I think that's fine. That album is being re-released uh, very soon mm. on vinyl. I did see it's that. Only, it's a limited edition, 100 copies. But, of course, if there's a demand for it, which I never expect with mm. my stuff, but um, it's a limited edition, 100 copies coming out on vinyl. And um, 
it's in memory of the man who produced it and did those wonderful arrangements, the, the, the late, great Del Newman. So it's a tribute to him. But it looks fabulous because it only ever came out on CD, but to come out on 12-inch vinyl, that amazing artwork on the cover by yeah. Sue Martin. So um, a lot of people are looking forward to getting it. It's going to be a collector's item, and it's not going to be cheap. I mean, I think yeah. it's going to be 25 and 30, 30 pounds. But yeah. with it, you also get the CD as well, uh -huh. but it's a just the solo guitar versions mm -hmm. on the CD. And of course, you got you got Sir Cliff doing those amazing backing vocals. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, nice. he came in, he came into the studio, the studio called Snake Ranch, that's no yeah. longer there. And he just set to, and he sent, he spent about two hours, didn't have a break, he just went straight through and did it, worked all those harmonies out. And when he offered to do it uh, towards the end of Heathcliff, because I've got this deal with uh, KTL, he said, um, "I'd like to do backing vocals on that track." Mm -hmm. I said, well, great. And he said, I'll be honest with you, Gordon. He said, I, I, I much prefer and I enjoy more doing backing vocals than I do lead vocals. Oh, wow. I think it allows him to be more creative because he's a mm. – all right, the image of Cliff is this great front man, but he, he has got the most amazing ear and he's a very, very good musician. Oh, right. he, he has a, an ear for harmony that you mm -hmm. would not believe. He really does. And um, I guess he's, after all the years he's been in the business, he's become quite good at it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He is quite a showman as well. Oh, yeah, very charismatic. One, <laughs> of, the, one of the most enjoyable shows, and I'm not just saying this because you're sat there, but do you remember he did that, that show called The Hit List? Oh, yes, yep. Because Heathcliff was put on hold mm. and he thought, I need to do something. And he, he put this show together and the stage setting was this huge jukebox. And it was one of the best live shows I've ever seen. The band were incredible. Yeah. And it was just like listening to an album, but mm -hmm. better. Yeah, definitely. It was uh, you know, during his prime, Cliff was one of the most char charismatic live performers you'll ever get the chance to see. Nice. He was Amazing, but I don't need to tell you that, obviously, because you're. <laughs> <a huge fan. laughs> yeah, and the headless was actually my first time seeing Cliff live, as well. That was my first ever Cliff concert. Was was the hit list in ninety four, ninety five? Was that the the hit lifts hit list? Yeah, there? yeah, that was yeah. my very first wasn't time. It, wasn't it great, what a great concept! Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, what do you want to hear next? Press the button. Of course, it, it was already. <laughs> Pre-program, but they knew he knew. Yeah. But, you know, you just think, oh god, yeah, oh, I love that. I forgot, he, oh, I forgot about that one. And all my favourites when I was a kid, I was transported back. But I got to tell you, I think one of the greatest records that man ever made mm -hmm. that was never a hit was when Two Worlds Drift Apart. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's a great, great piece of work. Yeah, definitely is. Great song, powerful, great, a great uh, example of brilliant genius songwriting. Was it Peter Town? Was it David Down Townsend? David Townsend, yeah. David Townsend. What a great song. Mm. Um, and uh, did he write Miss Unites as well? He did. He wrote Miss Unites as well. Yeah. Yeah. Both those those songs. But uh, when two worlds drift apart, oh, those harmonies. And of course, you got you got um, you got John John Perry and. Uh, Tony Rivers do it, and 
Stuart Calvin with those amazing, what a great combination of, mm. of voices there. Yeah, definitely. I, I spoke to Tony not long ago and he was telling me all his, his memories with uh, Cliff back with Machine Arts and all that. It was absolutely amazing to hear as well. It, well, it was a high point, you know, and, and, and dare I say it, much of it as credit has got to be given to the great Bruce Welch. Yeah. Because Bruce is a brilliant, brilliant record producer, a great peer of ears, and he knew how to choose the right songs for Cliff. Mm. I think that really was the, the high point in Cliff's recording career when he was doing those albums with Bruce. Mm -hmm. Really, really classy stuff. And that's when people start, certainly from my point of view, people had a, a certain, a, a different conception of Cliff. He was suddenly yeah. taken a lot more seriously, particularly with Devil Woman. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, um, and you sort of think, this man could rock. Mm. I always hoped that he would get away from the big time stuff and do the old grey whistle test. Yeah. Imagine if he'd gone on the whistle test, right? Yeah. And maybe done an acoustic section. Yeah. Would have done his career. I think all those died in the wall prog rockers like me, heavy metal mm. people, suddenly think, I didn't know he was that good. I yeah. didn't realize he was that good, you know? Yeah. And it's only it's only the musicians that really know mm. how good he was. One of the bass players in my band, it wasn't my bass player, but he was a legendary bass player called John Gustafson. Uh. And John was a legendary bass player from the Mersey Beach days. He, he at one point he, he nearly joined the Beatles. You know, oh. he was he was managed by Brian Epstein as a solo oh. artist. Yeah, but started out, you know, he 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 was there at the beginning. He used to knock around with the Beatles and Ringo and Lennon, and um, he was in a band called the Big Three. Mm -hmm. And then he had a he then was in the band called the Mersey Beats. Which had massive hits, or they then became the Merseys. Yeah. Then he formed a band called Quatermaster. Then he he was a session player. He was in he was on the first incarnation of Jesus Christ Superstar. He was oh. in Roxy Music. He was in the Gillen Band, and then he was in my band for a short time. And he was told me these amazing stories. But even he said, he said, Cliff Richard, what an artist! Yeah. Wow, what, what a perfectionist! And you know, he was a hard person that pleases Johnny Gus but mm -hmm. he, did, he, he didn't sneer at Cliff's kind of glamour and, yeah. and his polish you know he stepped back for and said you know that man is the ultimate perfectionist which he is yeah definitely is mm. um, out of all the people who you, you've played with who have been some of your favourites the people are the favourites to work with um that's a difficult one, really. Uh, they've all been they've all been great. Um, working with them and being in the studio with them was an honour. Being in the studio with Brian May, Rick Waitman, Midjour, Neil Murray, Steve Howe uh, was really quite something. Um, I did an album with 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 Rick Waitman, but that was done at a distance. You know, he did his yeah. stuff in the studio, I did mine, his my stuff in mine. Um, it's very difficult to say. Um, I just work with some great musicians, some of them you've never heard of, uh, but, but for different reasons, you know, yeah. for the fun of it, 
uh, I like I like working with musicians that don't have an ego because ego destroys so many things. It's so destructive. Uh, but getting back to Sir Cliff, one of the most enjoyable seven months of my life was spent in that production. I loved it. Every minute of it. Um, I mean, contrary to probably, I don't know, people probably thought that, uh, that, uh, no, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to talk about that. That's irrelevant. I loved every minute of it. It was a real thrill to be on stage with a man that I idolized when I was a teenager. I used to have pictures of him on my bedroom wall, for God's sake, (laughs) him in the shadows, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to play the guitar like Hank Marvin and look and sing like Cliff Richard. Yeah. I failed abysmally, obviously, on the the latter part. But but in my own way, I did okay. You you know, you saw me in Heathcliff. You know, I I looked pretty cool with the dark hair and the beard. And that was, uh, that was Cliff's thought because Cliff said to me, when he was growing the beard for the part, he said, uh, I said, he said, uh, I said, the beard suits you, Cliff. He said, yeah, he said, but it's coming through. He said, salt and pepper. I've got a few grey bits. He said, but there's stuff on the market called Just for Men. <laughs> it's a hair dye. Yeah. I said, yeah, he said, I'm going to use that. Anyway, I thought, I'm going to get some of this. So I, when there was a break over Christmas, I decided to grow the beard. Yeah. Of course, I was, I was told afterwards that really you can't do that. You're supposed to look exactly the way you should. You looked when you first joined the cast when I just had the 70s tash. Yeah. You know, so anyway, they were fine. I grew the beard. I dyed it. I thought, that looks really good. And then I started looking at some of the grey bits in my hair. I thought, well, I'd get old. And so therefore, I had this incredibly good dark beard and hair. I could have been <laughs> twin brother, you know, <laughs> in my dreams. But uh, that carried on for a few years. And I got to the point, I thought... People are going to know how old I am. Gordon, come clean and start looking your age, buddy. You know. <laughs> there you go. Uh, it's had to leave. It's been twenty-five years since this year, since since Heathcliff all. Took it is. It's it's astonishing. It's also depressing because where have those twenty-five years gone? <laughs> but at the same time, it's not because thank God we're all still here. Mm. So Cliff's still here. I'm still here through various ups and downs. And uh, one has to sort of go like that and be very grateful and thankful, you know, and uh, I'm still making music. And um, ironically, during this period of lockdown, mm-hmm. I, I haven't been more productive. It's been a blessing for me. I've been able to set to not worry about treading the boards and just concentrate yeah. on my writing and recording. And it's, the floodgates have opened. It's just oh, been nice. wonderful. That's good. Uh, and so then the guilt creeps and you sort of think, well, you say, you know, there's all that sadness and misery and bereavement out there. But for me, it's been a good thing. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, I'm fortunate. I have my, my art, my creativity. Mm. I have a lovely wife. I have a nice house. I have a nice garden. So I'm cushioned. But, you know, I'm fully aware that outside people are going through absolute hell. It's devastated and destroyed lives. I know that. But uh, for me, it was it was a blessing. You know, I made the most of it, let's put it that way. And I know a lot of other people have as well. Yeah, I think it's also with, with people like yourselves, musicians and singers and all that, have also helped uh, get us through this year as well. 
absolutely if you've got if you've got something you that can absorb you that can yeah. you can focus on that you can meditate on then that's great yeah. you know you you've got to have a reason for getting up in the morning definitely otherwise it's just it's just like groundhog day every day yeah yeah exactly okay yeah. Oh, i'd like to thank you for joining me um today it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you my, my pleasure, Paul, and I hope you found these stories interesting. I could talk for hours <laughs> yeah. uh, about, the, about the production and the wonderful people that I met, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it's good to share it, and I hope your listeners enjoy some of my stories. Yeah, they definitely will. Thank you so much, and talk again. Okay, thank you. I'm glad we were able to connect. Yes, me too. Thank you so much. Bye, Bye for Bye. now, Paul. Be well. Bye. Bye-bye. Hosted by Paul from Cliff Richard Radio. Wow.